Amen. Good morning, Christ Church family. And yes, you look well rested, like you've had a great night's sleep, and I, it's good to see you. So, loved ones, churches all around the world, over the last 24 hours, including in these moments we're sharing right now, have recited the Apostles' Creed as an affirmation of faith. And in that affirmation of faith, one of the things Christians have said by the thousands and thousands is this, I believe in the Holy Spirit. And over the past several weeks, we've journeyed through the Scriptures in learning who is the Holy Spirit, how to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, which we've affirmed is a a manifestation of the character of Jesus in our lives. And then last Sunday, we looked at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which we affirmed is an expression of the ministry of Jesus in and through our lives. Today, I want to talk to you for a few minutes about the following topic, sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. And before we dive in, because we need God's help, I want to ask that we pause even though Nathan just led us in prayer, just take a moment and let's pray over these emerging moments. So God, we ask that you would come alongside us and open the eyes of our heart. The scripture declares in Ephesians 2 that before we knew you, Jesus, that our spirit was dead, but when we came to know you, our spirit has come to life and we pray that the life that has come forth would commune with the life that you're bringing forth in these emerging moments and let it be unto the advancement of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, most of us in this sanctuary have heard of what we call the three big O's related to the character of God, the nature of God. And those are God's omnipotence, and that is that God is all-powerful. Secondly, God's omniscience, that means that God is all-knowing, that he knows everything. And then God's omnipresence, which means God is everywhere. But what we've been discovering over the weeks that we've spent together is that there is also this expression through the person of the Holy Spirit of God's special presence, something we may call manifest presence. And when we come to scriptures like we're going to look at this, like we're going to look at this morning in Ephesians 4.30, where we see Paul teaching the church, grieve or do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, what that tells us is, or reminds us of, is that the, the presence of God, the manifest presence, dwells in the life of a believer, and that the presence of God can be grieved. When we're taught in 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not put out the Spirit's fire, that indicates to us that there is a fire of the presence of God in our lives as Christians, and that fire can be diminished, can be put out to use the literal words of scripture out of that verse. We're aware that there are examples of this in scripture. Think with me for a moment, Samson. Samson has the power of God residing upon him and within him. And God gives us a picture in the natural so that we understand the depth of that which is happening at a supernatural level through the symbolism of the length of Samson's hair. 
And we're mindful when Samson began to cross boundaries uh, spiritually, when he began to fall into sin with Delilah, we are aware that that set him up for a diminished expression of the manifest presence of God, both in and through his life. One, you may remember one of the vice presidents of the United States of America a number of years ago was made fun of in the media. I'm not trying to get political here. It's just, here's what happened. He, he declared that he lives by something called the Billy Graham rule. And the Billy Graham rule is, I will not be alone with any woman who is not my wife. Now, the media persecuted him for that, and that hit social media and went all diff kinds of different directions. But for those that may not know, the Billy Graham Association in, in Billy Graham's life, he not only lived by that to protect the integrity of his ministry and the integrity of the movement, but there was something deeper that Graham held to relevant to our topic this morning. Let me quote Billy Graham. Graham once said this, my greatest fear is that God would remove his hand from me. An Episcopalian priest said not too many years ago, if the Holy Spirit were totally withdrawn from the Western church today, 90% of the work of the church would go on as if nothing happened. Those are sobering words. And so the church is taught, do not grieve the person of the Holy Spirit. And if the church is taught, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, then that means that we are capable of grieving the Holy Spirit. Church, when the Holy Spirit is grieved, his manifest presence lifts. When the Holy Spirit is grieved, his special presence lifts. When the Holy Spirit is grieved, another way of wording it biblically is that his anointing lifts. A number of years ago, when we were in our first church plant, I remember a particular Sunday where the church was in worship through song. I remember as the church was magnifying God that we were enjoying the presence of God, the special presence of God. I remember sensing within the congregation and in my own heart the personality of the Holy Spirit, sensing the love of God, sensing the joy of God, sensing the peace of God. We were getting ready to launch a new teaching series on overcoming fear. The tech team of the church had prepared a little video vignette that would just play for a moment on the screen before I went to the lectern to begin to preach. But what I was not aware of is that when they had prepared this video to introduce the series, that they did an overlay of background music from a horror movie. You're already doing the mental math, obviously. So here we are, enjoying the presence of God. Enjoy men, women, children, teenagers, enjoying God. And suddenly I get up to teach, the video plays, and this ominous background music begins to play. Loved ones, it was as if someone had turned on a Holy Spirit vacuum. Suddenly we felt clearly the presence that we had been enjoying just lift. Suddenly we were in a place where we felt 
a sense of grief, if you will, that the presence of God, the joy of God, the beauty of God, the love of God, just all of what was happening in our hearts and enjoying being in God's presence suddenly lifted and we recognized what had happened. And, and moms and dads and even a few teenagers as well as myself began to pause and say, we need to recognize what's just happened. And we took some moments in that service to pray prayers of asking for God's forgiveness and a sensitivity to be developed in us for the reality of the manifest presence of God. We repented. R.T. Kendall once said this, we prove our love for God partly by our reaction to the knowledge that we grieved the Spirit. When Missy and I lived in Birmingham, when I would walk out the back door to get in my truck to drive to the office every morning, oftentimes there were a group of doves that would gather on our patio. There were three of them, actually. I nicknamed them Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But when I would step out the door, step outside the door, I hardly made any noise before those doves would flee. All I had to do was move a little bit, just crack the door open and you would hear them flutter and fly away. There were also occasions when I would walk out that door and there were a group of pigeons that gathered on the patio. I could walk out my door, I could slam the door, I could take a pen and beat it. And the pigeons were indifferent to my presence. Loved ones, I remind you that when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him. The Holy Spirit came upon him in the form of a dove. Hear God's word, Matthew 3.16. The Holy Spirit descended like a dove and rested upon him. The Bible does not say that the Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus in the form of pigeon. It says that the Holy Spirit descended upon him in the form of a dove. And a dove is sensitive. A dove, when disturbed, will take flight. And, and the scripture tells us that as it says in John 1, that John bore witness, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. It remained on Jesus. And the key word for us to pay attention to is the word remain. You see, the dove was at home in Jesus because he found harmony in Jesus. Loved ones, that's what we want to be like as believers. We want to be a welcome place for the dove to remain by being in harmony with Jesus. And we want to place a value on God's presence in our lives individually and God's presence in our lives as a church family for the sake of the witness and the glory of God and for the sake of Memphis and for the sake of our nation and the nations. But the key word here is remain. Loved ones, we have always, as the people of God throughout history, been a people of God's presence. This is not new. I would remind you of Moses when, when, when he was in conversation with God. Once he said to the Lord, Lord, if you don't go, we don't go. That's how much 
Moses valued the presence of God. And you, many of you are aware that what God did in those emerging years among the people of God is that he guided them with his presence, a cloud by day and a fire by night. And they, people, the people of God were a people of the presence of God, the manifest presence of God. And we're mindful that the cloud never adopted, or shall we say adapted to the will of the people. The will of the people adapted to the will of the cloud. The will of the people adapted to the will of the fire, the leading of the fire by night and the cloud by day. And I submit to you this morning that to become sensitive to the Holy Spirit requires that we become aware of the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. Now sometimes, let me rephrase, two weeks ago I shared with you that that there are times when your pastor, when he's teaching the word, will say some things that sometimes make us uncomfortable. It's a reflection of what's in the word of God. Well, today I'm going to share something that makes me a little uncomfortable. You see, decades ago, when Missy and I had been, I don't know, married a few years and we're in the first church plant that I referred to, we were driving down the interstate one day and we're having a discussion. To be more honest about that, we were having an argument. And I got angry. And this was sinful, this was wrong. I got angry. And I had an outburst of uncontrolled anger. And I took my right hand and I hit my horn. And the horn got stuck. We're 20 minutes from home. Now I'm riding down the interstate and Missy's sitting next to me laughing at me. I deserved every bit of it, but she's laughing. I'm not, but she's laughing. I drive home. I pull into our neighborhood. Uh, we have church members in our neighborhood. My horn is blaring. I'm there are people watering their yard, watching Pastor Paul drive into the neighborhood, and I'm looking up awkwardly, <laughs> trying to appear somewhat dignified, Missy continuing to laugh, and I deserved every bit of it. And I pulled into our driveway, horn blaring. I, I get out. Neighbors are working in their yard. It's Saturday, and they're all, <laughs> and I'm, and I get out, pop the horn, and disconnect the battery and make the horn stop. That was a wake-up call. But I struggled with my pride because I did not look to my wife immediately and say, I am wrong. I am sorry. Will you forgive me? I, I go in the house and I've got to preach the next Sunday and I get my Bible out and I start going over the message and trying to pray, but the heavens are brass. I'm not connecting with God. I'm sure you see the problem here. And I recognize not only have I hurt my wife deeply, but my outburst of anger, I have grieved the Holy Spirit. And I go to my wife and I say, I was wrong. 
I am sorry for the sorrow I caused you. Will you forgive me? And she forgave me. Communion with the dove was restored. You know, sometimes even in pastor world, I can be, when our kids were young, making noise in the living room, being normal four-year-old kids, or excuse me, four, four kids, but being normal kids, I could be having my devotion or preparing for the sermon the next day. And if they're making a lot of noise, I'm in the right place getting up out of my chair and going in the other room and politely asking or kindly asking them to lower the decibel level, but that doesn't give me a right to have an outburst of uncontrolled anger at my children. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is gentleness, Galatians 5.23. Paul urged in Philippians 4.5, let your gentleness be evident to all. That includes my spouse. That includes my children. That includes the people that I work with at the office. That includes the day-to-day of doing life. James taught us that the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And the most astounding thing is that the word of God through James also declares that when a man or woman will live into this in the power of the dove, the presence of God in one's life, that he promises that there's this harvest that's coming, this life-giving harvest. Remember, righteousness is always life-giving. It's, it's this way that works. Uh, and so this harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, just a moment ago, church family, I quoted Ephesians 4.30, where Paul writes, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. But what we need to do to be faithful to Scripture is we need to take a moment and look at that verse in its proper context. Now, I'm going to need to read a lengthy passage of Scripture in order to do this faithfully. And I want to ask, would you guard yourself from mentally water skiing in this moment? And just hear the Word of God. So when Paul writes these words, He says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Then these emerging verses, he shares with us the practical expression of how not to do that. And so he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, clamor, trying to strive for position, slander, you know, talking about people behind their back in a way that diminishes their character. Be put away from you, along with all malice. That's when we take our words or actions and we actually do things that hurt other people. Put it away. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then he goes on to write, therefore, be imitators of God. That's a pretty high bar, amen? Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice to God, but sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk or crude joking. Remember a number of years ago, a man in our church who had been, spent his life working in law enforcement, FBI, undercover, all kinds of things, I remember him 
looking at me one day and and he's a professed to be a Christian but he said I, I, I continue to joke around crudely because I've been in law enforcement and I, I just remember processing that I was like so do you get a pass because you've been in law enforcement do I get a pass uh, because I'm a pastor to blow up on my kids if they're no- noisy and just have an outburst do we get a pass I just remind you, loved ones, no matter what our background, no matter what we've come out of, the dove doesn't adapt to us. We adapt to the dove. And so let us read on. Let let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, no double entendre that's off color, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving for... You may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. I had a professor in seminary. Some of you knew him, Dr. Bob Mulholland. He wrote a book called Invitation to a Journey, and in that book, he talks about the way the Word of God, how, how we interact with the Word of God, and he breaks it into four categories. He says there's a category first where what happens is a confrontation when we're, we read the Word of God. I'm thinking about the text we just read. I'm thinking about the text we read two weeks ago that described the works of the flesh. We experience a confrontation. Then we experience frustration. Then we experience a consecration. And then we move into formation. Confrontation, frustration, consecration, formation. Confrontation, frustration, consecration, formation. And I think about the confrontation. That what we just read, outburst of anger, Crude joking, addictions, substance abuse, sexual immorality, whether it's adultery, sex outside of marriage, pornography, whatever the case may be. There's a confrontation that takes place. And in the confrontation, what God's really inviting you into, sister or brother, is this, to move your life to a new altitude. And in the confrontation that when we maybe squirm or wiggle or we're uncomfortable, the invitation is to adjust to the dove. The invitation is that you get to to adjust to the dove. But often we go into a phase of frustration. And that's illustrated in scripture, by the way. uh, Think about, it's as old as the book of Genesis. Do you remember what happened to Adam when God confronted him around his sin? Adam responded, Lord, it's this woman you gave me. Remember that? There's a theological uh, word for that. Let me spell it for you. L-A-M-E. It's lame. Because when we're confronted, that's what happens. Oftentimes, we want to go, it's my, if, if I just wasn't 
married to this person, or if I, if I just had a different circumstance, or if I wasn't under such pressure, what, what happens is all of these certain things begin to crescendo in our lives as a symptom of frustration that comes out of the confrontation. But I, again, would say, I have learned that God will not accommodate me by altering his principles just for me. But loved ones, out of frustration, in the confrontation, you have an opportunity to move to a new altitude for the glory of God, for the dove to become a resting place in your life. And that is in consecration, in yieldedness, if you will, in a place where we become into agreement with God and we begin to wave the white flag in surrender. And what's happening as brother or sister, when you begin to express to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, your creator, your surrender before him, you're moving to a new altitude, a new place of formation. It's in the adjusting that God does a new thing in our lives, a life-giving thing, a new formation is taking place in your life. And this formation is the very life of God in you, the Holy Spirit, the dove, finding his resting place and empowering you at a new altitude for his glory. Now, when missionary, the missionary E. Stanley Jones said what I'm about to say, quote, this isn't the only context in which he meant it, but it's one of the contexts. When Jones said this, his way works. When I am in his way, his way works. But when I am not in his way, the way does not work. If you approached me and said, Paul, tell me something about Missy. And if I responded to you in this way and I said, I said, oh, I'd love to tell you about Missy. My wife, you know, yeah. Um, you know, we got married. She wore this beautiful white dress and she looked gorgeous. And her, it was a great day. Oh, it was, it was beautiful. And we took off and went out of state on a honeymoon. And I stopped. And you go, okay. Well, tell me something about your wife. I go, oh, well, her dad walked her down the aisle and he happened to be a pastor. So he walked her down the aisle and then he turned around and he administered church, or excuse me, vows, marriage vows. You go, okay, well, that's interesting. Tell me something about her. I go, oh, on that day, there was a group of groomsmen on the right and a group of bride, bridesmaids on the left. And, and it was a really special time. And obviously you're not learning anything about Missy, about who she is daily. If I were to share something with you about who Missy is daily, I would talk to you about her spontaneity and her joy and her prayer life and her love for ministering to broken women and her heart for unreached people groups and missions and, and the joy that I have that no matter where God has led us, she's always been all in. And as my dad has said, and I've shared with you, son, you out kicked, the, you out ran the kick coverage when you married her. You say, Pastor, where are you going? A lot of you, I'm not saying you necessarily, a lot of us, let me put it that way. When somebody asks about your relationship with Christ? Oh yeah, I came to know Christ when I was a child. 
I made a profession of faith 25 years ago. I made a profession of faith two years ago. And that's good. We want to make much of that. I mean, there's a lot at stake in that. But who is Christ to you now? What's the dove, the activity and movement of God? What is he doing in your life now? What's your witness for Christ like now? What's, he, what's the movement of God like now? Our church years ago held a, a conference. There were speakers that came from all over the United States, some around the world, who were a part of this conference. These were people that we were very conscientious in inviting that guard the deposit of the work of Christ and the work of the dove in their own lives. And, and, and we invited people like this because we want to see life, the life of Jesus, the life of God propagated among the people of God. And, and as a part of this conference, the church gathers and there's, there's this one man that I've been concerned about for a number of years because every time I engage him in conversation, I love, don't get me wrong, I love talking about sports. Don't misunderstand. Some of you have learned that already. I also love talking about just anything, really, because I'm kind of a lifelong learner. But I noted that, that this particular gentleman, anytime the conversation, we moved towards spiritual things, he had no capacity to converse. And I was concerned about him spiritually. And so I personally, repeatedly invited him to be a part of the conference, and he agreed. One evening in the conference, God moved in a really significant way. The dove, he's among us. There were people who came to know Christ on this particular evening. There were people who were filled with the Spirit afresh on this particular evening. There were people who sensed God's call uh, in a myriad of ways on this particular way to vocational ministry. There was all kinds of things happening that were beautiful. People praying around altars. And when I followed up with this gentleman, thinking about how powerfully God had shown up, how beautifully the dove had pointed us to Jesus in, in ways that were only could be authored by his hand. And when I sat with my friend, I, I said, what did you think? I was just listening for the movement of God potentially in his life. And, I, and he gave me this line, I quote, Oh, that speaker, amazing. He has an amazing delivery. I didn't hear a single pause or misuse of the English language in his entire talk. Oh my. The spirit, the dove moving among us. People receiving life and all you received was a speaker. You know, some people come to church just for the service. Some people come to meet with God. Some people come to church to hear the preacher's sermon, while some people come to church to hear from God. Some people make church about the what. I go to church, while some people come to church to make it about the who. And there's a difference. One of my favorite Bible passages is Ephesians 5.10. It's only six words, but it, but it reads like this. Find, find out what pleases the Lord. Find out. 
find out what pleases the Lord. And loved ones, the Lord in his love for you has declared the following, be filled with the Holy Spirit, written in the imperative mood in Ephesians 5. Walk in the Spirit. These are instructions from him so that you may manifest the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the character of Jesus. Earnestly desire spiritual gifts. You're not the exception. I'm not the exception. Earnestly desire spiritually gifts, spiritual gifts, particularly that you can proclaim the truth of God. Doesn't mean everybody's a preacher, but we study it. We learn it. We measure things by it. We be filled with the Holy Spirit. No, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. And then in light of Ephesians 4.30 and 1 Thessalonians 5.19, let us, by God's grace, live with a sensitivity to the dove of the Holy Spirit. Once again, I remind you, you don't earn any of this. All of this is a gift from God. It is by grace you are saved through faith. This is not a performance. This is yielding in surrender to Jesus Christ who bled and died for you, who has already done the work of reconciling you to God. Move in surrender, loved ones, and in surrender, pursue all the life that he's made available to you. In the name of the Father, who loves you in the name of the Son who demonstrates his love in the name of the Holy Spirit who's available to you. Amen. Would you pray with me? Before I lead us in prayer, we want to ask you in your seats just simply to prayerfully respond to God in the way that you sense He's speaking to you this morning. I'm going to take about a half a minute or more just to be silent before him. And I want to invite you to seize this opportunity and just respond to him in the way that you believe in faith that the Lord would have you to respond. Son of God, Jesus Christ, Messiah, Lord, we exalt you. And the scripture tells us if you be lifted up, you will draw people to you. And so we magnify you. We know that the gift of the Holy Spirit, that he also lives to magnify you. And so we join with him and magnify you, Jesus and pray that you do the miracle of drawing us all to you in redeeming power, forgiving power, new life power. In the name and power of Jesus, we pray. Amen.